I, I thought I knew. Pastor called me yesterday and let me know that I was speaking today, and I thought, well, that's not a problem because I'm supposed to teach Sunday morning, so my notes are already done for Sunday. I'm ahead of time. I'm doing great. That's great, Lord. I'm all good to go. And In fact, I kind of went over my notes and made sure I knew them and was ready to go. And thought, Okay, so this morning I come in early, and I had a Legrano was in my office working, so he had coffee going already, and I had a cup of coffee and read over my notes again. Now, this is, I was prepared, like I was ready. Oh, I'll just skate on into Sunday, to Wednesday night, and I'll, I've got my notes ready, and I know these backwards and forward, and everything's good. And I told Brother Johnson before service, I came in and sat down here on the platform and had my Bible and my notes, and it was, I don't know, shortly after 6, Sister Raynell was here playing, and I thought, well, it'd be nice to sit up here with the music going to go over my notes rather than do it in my office. And I sit down there, and I begin, and the Lord began to deal with me. And I had to put those notes aside, so maybe they'll still be there Sunday, I don't know. And so I, I don't feel as prepared as I like to be this evening, but the Lord directed me to a thought that, I had to go digging, and I had a stack of notebooks out here earlier looking. It was a sermon that my grandfather preached uh, 13 years ago now in 2010, and there was a thought in his sermon, not what he preached, but a thought that I had written down in the side notes, and I haven't thought about that thought for 13 years. Hadn't never, didn't really remember writing it there, and God brought to my mind a little after six this morning, this thought, or this evening, this thought. So we're going to look at it for a few moments, and we will see where we end up. Uh, it's 7.30. I, uh, we're getting started pretty early. I think we'll be out of here by eight, no problem. But we're just going to see. I might be exploring this with you as we go this evening, because the Lord's done changed, changed my mind tonight. But I think that does mean that he has something for us. Uh, that he's got something that he would like us to look at this evening. Um, so with that, we're going to jump into the Word. We're in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5. We're going to read for now the first verse and go from there. It says, Now Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. You can be seated this evening. We're going to talk for a few moments. And the thought that I penciled in 2010 into the margin of my notebook as my grandfather was preaching on Naaman was simply this thought, but he was a leper. It's all I had written down, all I had to go off of. And in fact, I didn't remember it and I got my Bible out and you probably can't see from there, but underlined in my Bible. It must have been at the same time. It says just those words, but he was a leper. But I had the thought as I was reading back over this and had the thought as I wrote this in the notes some time back, we read all these great things about Naaman. He was the captain of the host to the king of Syria. He's the head of the Syrian army. He's got men that are under him. He's an important guy. He's a great man with his master. He's honorable. We, mind you, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, I'm going to assume that his master is the king of Syria. 
It's the guy he works for. It says that he's an, an honorable man. He's a good man. In fact, it says, because by him the Lord, mind you, he is Syrian, not Israeli. He is not an Israelite. It says, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. God is delivering the enemies of the Israelites through this guy. He's being used of God. He was also a mighty man of valor. So when he's going to war, going to battle, he's fighting, he's mighty. The other place I find mighty man of valor is of the basically David's captains, the people that were following David, his mighty men of valor. I, I, if we stop right here and we read about this Naaman character, sounds like a pretty good dude. He's powerful, he's important, he is honorable, he's a good man, he's used of God. He's mighty in battle. But Naaman's story is not at all defined by who Naaman was, but was defined solely by his affliction. It says all these great things about Naaman in its five words that completely change the narrative of who he is. But he was a leper. And we get the rest of this story that talks all about Naaman being stricken with leprosy and being healed by that and of God again. Uh, God, the Israelite uh, maiden that is his, basically his wife's servant that had been taken captivity uh, understands what's going on and he's a good enough guy that the servant that they took in captivity from her place is like, oh, if Naaman could just get to the prophet, if Naaman could just get to, to my God, I know he could be healed. I just wish he could get over there. He's her slave. And she's like, can we just get him healed? He's such a great guy. So then they get Naaman. The king hears about it. And the king gets Naaman uh, to the king of the Israelites. And the Israeli king's like, well, I don't know what to do about this. And Elisha says, wait a minute. Why don't you send him down here? We'll see what God can do about this. And we know the story. Some of us do. Some of us may not. But we'll, I'm going to recap most of it. And so Naaman then goes to Elisha and the prophet comes to Naaman and says, hey, here's what you got to do. God will heal you. You need to go dip in that nasty Jordan River seven times. And first he's put off. He's like, hey, I don't know if you know who I am. I'm Naaman. I, I'm obviously paraphrasing. Um, I, I'm Naaman. I'm important. I'm a big deal. And I got a lot of nice clean rivers at home. And that Jordan's nasty. Why do I need to come jump in your filthy river when I got nice ones at home? Elisha's like, well, fine, don't be healed then. But if you want to, go don't jump into Jordan. And he goes and he, he dips in there and the seventh time he comes up without leprosy. And he's healed. He tries to give a gift and that gift is refused. Elisha's like, I didn't heal you because I wanted your money, name, and I healed you because God said to. I didn't do it anyway. God did it. And your obedience to God is what did it. Your obedience from God is what cleansed you, is what made you clean. You don't have leprosy anymore. Go on your way. And Naaman's servant, Gehazi, he chases him down. He says, hey, I kind of wouldn't mind having that gift. And so he takes it and then he contracts leprosy. In fact, it says that he contracts Naaman's leprosy. 
What had come off of one went on to the other. And I wish I had time to explore deeper. Brother Johnson and I were discussing uh, prior to service that if we go just a little bit over, in fact, it's on the same page of my Bible, that if I go just a little bit over, it's the Syrians that are coming to war against Israel. Now that... There's a whole lot of war going on in the Bible. It's not a big, fresh new story, but the captain of the host of the Syrians, the guy in charge of that army, is Naaman. Unless something changed in that half a chapter there. So I wonder if it's not Naaman leading the troops as they walk into Israel. And I'm speculating here, and I wish we had time to look deeper, because if we go to the next page... We get to the Assyrians come and they besiege the city of Samaria. And everything's going down, but there's prophecy through Elisha, the one that had just healed Naaman, that there would be plenty. And that plenty comes through three lepers. We find leprosy again. Three lepers that were sitting outside the camp and they find and discover what had happened there as the Assyrians are blinded and scared off. And that prophecy is fulfilled and we the types and things that happen keep going there and the leprosy keeps tying back in. We see Gehazi later and lady from Samaria. There's just a lot going on there and I wish we had time for all that. But now that you have a general idea of the story and a general idea of what's going on, I want to go back to the first verse. Now Naaman, captain of the host, all these good things we read about him, says, but he was a leper. Now, Throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, oftentimes, um, in fact, just about every time, we find leprosy is a a type of sin. And I'm going to use that same um, thought this evening. And I wonder if oftentimes, we'll get to some New Testament to kind of cap this off in a moment, but oftentimes we can be great people. Good people. We come to church and we sit on the pew and we're always here and pay our tithes and we're taking care of other people. We're doing everything we can. We're good people. Used of God. Naaman was a great guy. He was an honorable guy. He was literally not even an Israelite in a time when you had to be an Israelite. And it says that he was used of the Lord. But at the end of the day, the only thing that defined Naaman into the only story of Naaman that we find in the Bible was not how great Naaman was, how Naaman was used of God, how honorable he was, or how great at battle he was. But the only thing I find about Naaman in Scripture that pertains to anything other than describing the man is his affliction. And that a couple thousand, few thousand years later is, is not entirely all that big a deal as far as me and Naaman go. But I also want to then take that, that thought, that type that we find across the Old Testament, uh, even into the New Testament as Christ is ca- delivering of leprosy, is that type of leprosy as it shadows and types of sin And I don't ever want to get to the place that I get to the end of my days. And the end of my days 
strange as you say, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. The end of my days might be a long time from now, and I might get to talking and trip off the platform in a moment, and probably shouldn't speak that uh, into existence there, but there's no telling what's going to happen. I don't know. But if it's 50 years from now or if it's next week, it will not matter how good I've been. And it won't matter what I've done for God. It won't matter how God has used me if I get to the very end of that on Judgment Day and it says, but he had sin in his life. But he had done this. It may be he was a great guy and he did this and he did that and he took care of them and he was here and he was there and he preached and God used him for this and used him for that, but he was doing X, Y, Z. In Naaman's life, all that mattered at the... Today, all that matters for Naaman is, but he was a leper. Now we have a million stories throughout Scripture and we're going to look at one or two of them. The next one we're going to look at is, is Achan. And if you don't know the story of Achan, as they, uh, count, the Israelites have been in the desert for 40 years. And at the end of the Israelites' 40 years, they cross the river. They walk around Jericho for seven days. And on the, seventh, or the first six days, the priests walk around. The seventh day, all the children of Israel walk around. And the seventh day, on the seventh trip, they've walked around. They shout and they blow trumpets and they get excited and all the walls come tumbling down. Depending on how old you are, you'll remember that one of two ways. There's a song, Josh fought the battle of Jericho, 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 Josh fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Or, you see all these little green peas up on top of the wall with a French accent, and somewhere they went between some vegetables, it's vegetables that I'm describing here, but they, they went between some vegetables, the story of Jericho and Monty Python, and they put all that together and they get these little green peas on the top of the wall with French accents insulting the children of Israel and dumping purple slushies on them. Depending on how old you are, you'll remember one of those. I'm right at the age where I get both of them. I may only have the tails because of my children, I'm not sure. But... Either way, I like the little French insulting peas. Um, but that's the story of Jericho. But as the walls come tumbling down, the children of Israel, they go in and they begin to plunder the city. They're making sure everybody's dead. And I don't know exactly how that works, but basically I see a guy going by with like a satchel that's open and a sword. He's like, well, I'm going to stab you and take your stuff and stab you and take your stuff. And praise the Lord, God's good. We're going to stab you and take your stuff too. That's essentially what's going on. Um, mind you, different times and God wanted them to stab the people and take their stuff. Um, I don't recommend that you go stab people and take their stuff today. Um, that will be frowned upon. I will visit you, but I don't want to start a jail ministry in that way. So no stabbing people and taking their stuff. But that's what was happening. They're stabbing people and they're taking their stuff. And They got their satchels all full and they get back. So then all that stuff that's in their satchels that they took from all the people that they stabbed, they've got all that stuff and they have brought it together, and that goes into the church's coffers, basically. I'd really just rather you pay your tithes. Um, it's better than stabbing. But that's what they did. That's how they went about it. So they've got all their stuff from all the people they stabbed, and they've gotten in, 
through all that and everything goes in. And God had told them very specifically how to do things and that they weren't to take anything for themselves. And now we get to Achan. See, Achan found a nice garment. He found his coat he liked and this hunk of gold that he liked. So he takes the hunk of gold and he wraps it up in the coat and he totes that home and he gets to his tent and he rolls back the carpet and digs him a little hole and buries that and covers it back up. And there again, I'm paraphrasing, using a few liberties with the story. But that's basically what's happened. And Achan's going on with his life like, ah, no big deal here. Except the next place they get, mind you, Jericho, they had just won. Jericho was the largest city on the face of the earth this time. History tells us that the walls were so thick, they would have chariot races on top of the walls at Jericho. That's, that's big. I mean, I don't know a lot about chariots or racing them or big stone walls, but it seems like that's a really big wall. Uh, so they, they've just defeated the mightiest city on the face of the earth. And then they go to Ai. I don't know, haven't been to a whole lot of places the size of Ai, but it wasn't very big. My wife and I spent about 14 years living in the city of Greenville. Well, Clyde knows where Greenville's at. And I'm going to imagine Ai was kind of like rolling into Greenville. But Clyde, it wouldn't take a whole bunch of army. To, well, it depends on how many rednecks were home. You hit Greenville in deer season, it's a little different. But it wouldn't take a whole lot of army to wipe out Greenville. Really, all it takes is a little bit of rain and the city's just about gone. And uh, so they go to Ai, and they go to take it on, and they, they get your tails whipped. It didn't go quite like they thought it went. They're, they're walking in, and they're like, ah, we got this. And they're kind of strolling in, and I can see them kind of going home like, hmm, we didn't got this. And they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and Joshua starts to pray. What's going on here? What is happening here? And God begins to tell them, You've got some sin in the camp. And so they go looking for this sin, and what they found was that all the children of Israel were defeated at Ai because one guy had a chunk of gold wrapped in a shiny coat under his carpet. One guy did something he wasn't supposed to. There was a little bit of sin and under the floor of one tent. And God starts talking about how they were going to get that sin out. Mind you, they didn't, you can go read the story, but they didn't just dig it up and take it and say all was good. They rounded up the whole family, killed them, stoned them, and burned them. That's a lot of ways to get rid of somebody. They, mind you, there again, different times, kind of like the stabbing and taking of the stuff. But... It wasn't just enough to kill them. It wasn't just enough to stone them. It wasn't just enough to burn it. We're going to make sure that there is no chance that this sin is still here. We're going to take all the prejudice we can against this because we want to make sure that it is not any longer a part of our lives because we've got to get it out of the camp before we head back to AI. I know AI is just a little battle, and I know that we shouldn't have lost it last time, but this is why we did. So we're going to make sure we get rid of that in the most extreme way possible because I do not want there to be any chance of that little bit of sin popping up the next time I go to battle. 
And what happens, we read the story, as they go back to the city of Ai, they step back into that place and handily defeat. Everything goes the way it should have the first time. And as we go through Scripture, we find time and time again where God does some miraculous things as long as everything's the way it ought to be with His people. When everything's not the way it ought to be with His people, everything doesn't go quite right. Even in the place of good intentions, things done wrong. We talked... A week ago Sunday, I guess a week and a half ago now, we talked of building altars and we we picked up as David had went and got the Ark of the Covenant and was bringing it in. But where we didn't spend a lot of time was looking at why they only brought it a little ways and then had to stop and figure out the right way to bring it and bring it on is because they were trying to do the work of the God, the work of God. They were trying to do the work of God. They were trying to get the Ark of the Covenant back in. But they weren't doing it in the right manner. They weren't doing it in the way that God had told them to do it. And when they did it, not in the way God had told them to do it, a man lost his life. Not because they had poor intentions. Not because they were bad people. Not because David was doing some horrible thing. David was trying to do the right thing, but doing it not how God asked him to do it. Now I know this sounds kind of doomy gloomy this evening. And I'm going to read one more scripture that sounds that way, and then I'm going to try to get to my point. Matthew, the seventh chapter, I'm going to start reading at verse 20. It says, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work in iniquity. Now, I want to take for a moment verse 22, or part of verse 22, out of context. Because if we went, we take this out of context, and we throw it somewhere else in Scripture. And we read, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and in your name we cast out devils, and in your name we've done many wonderful works. Well, you could go to shouting that and preach a conference sermon. People get up, get excited, run around the building. But we change the context just a little bit, and we put it where it goes, and there are people that have done all these good things in the name of God. And yet, when the time comes, the answer is, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. Mind you, this is the one that's cast out devils and prophesied and done good works. And he says, you've worked of iniquity. Now I said I promised it wouldn't be all doom and gloom. And here's where we're going to turn and begin to look for a little bit. Because the story of Naaman did not end with Naaman being a leper. We focused on the first verse all evening. and He was this great man and did all these great things, but he was a leper. But he had this infirmity, and this infirmity meant that he had to be separate from people and that he was contagious and that he probably wasn't very pretty to look at. Maybe his nose or his ears had rotted off. And 
that active rotting. I don't know a lot about leprosy, I've, but I had a cow with it once. It was one of the first cows I ever owned. I was a kid, and my grandpa paid me for making hay with a cow. And she got leprosy, and kind of like half her face rotted off. And it wasn't a pretty sight. And we ended up having to dispatcher, but we you could smell it from a long ways away. It wasn't something you wanted to be around, and if don't think about it too much if you're planning on eating when you leave here, because it it was not an exciting thing. But it was a sight that I never wanted to see or hear or know of again. Because as facial features, anyway. It was bad, and it didn't smell good, and it didn't look good. We'll stop there. It's, that's all that's important. Naaman was not a guy you wanted to be around, even though he was this great guy because of this affliction that he had. I'm assuming probably by all the position and who he was that he hadn't had it a long time. But, but we focused so far this evening on this thought that Naaman was a leper. And we're looking at that and how it correlates to sin in our lives. And we look at our lives and say, well, I've done all these good things, and I've tried to live for God, and I've tried to be a good person. And I love God, and I pray to God, and I serve God, and I pay my tithes, and I go to church, and I do everything right. But I'm so thankful this evening that it doesn't end with Naaman being a leper because what came after Naaman being a leper was Naaman being healed. He went and he dipped in the water. And I'm thankful that I can go and be dipped in the water. And as he came up out of that water, he had been washed clean. That leprosy, the sin, the problem that Naaman went under the water with did not come back up out of that water with him. And so that that type that we look at leprosy looking like sin continues on as he dips into the water and the river Jordan turns into our baptism water. Not saying that it literally turns into it. We're speaking in types again. But that baptismal, as I go down with Christ and I am buried with him, and I come back up out of that water, the things that I have carried with me, they've been washed away. And when I go back to him in a time that I've made a mistake and I've sinned, I've got some problem, I've fallen, and if anybody has made a mistake, well, I'd like to sit down and pick your brain for a while, and I'm probably going to take some notes because you're doing way better than I am. But I figure that you probably aren't here whoever hasn't made a mistake, because I figure we all have. I, I, I figure that's probably each of us. We're all human. But what I find is that just as Naaman, he was made clean of this leprosy, I can go back in repentance to God, and I can remember that I went down in that water, and that I came up, and I can remember that he's merciful, and I can remember that he's gracious. And in my worst times, and in the times that I've tripped, and I've stumbled, and i fell. And I look at my situation, and my situation can remind me of Naaman with the leprosy. It's not very pretty, and if I'm honest, it kind of stinks. And I can look at that situation, and I can be thankful for his mercy and for his grace. Because in that moment, my defining thought for all of eternity does not have to be, but he was a leper. The defining thought of my eternity does not have to be my mistakes. In fact, I do not have to be defined by my failures. 
I do not have to be defined by where I stumbled, where I tripped, or where I fell, but I can be defined by who he is. Brother Burns, our pastor when we were in Popper Bluff at Cornerstone, would routinely, when somebody was baptized, and it's something he said that stuck with me, he would say, your name is no longer, and I'm going to use my name, Jason Littles, but it is Jason Littles, Jesus. I am thankful that when I went down in that water and I come back up, when I've repented and given all my sins to him, he fills me with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and I might stumble, but at that point of stumble, I can go in repentance, and I can let him take that from me again. And it's in that point that I am not defined by the stumble that I made. I am not defined by the failure I had. But I'm defined by that name that he gave me in adoption. And it's in that moment I am not Naaman, the good guy, but a leper. I am not Jason, decent guy, but a sinner. A guy that tripped and stumbled and made a mistake. A guy that lived his life not in the way that he should have before he came to Christ. But I can look at that moment and not focus on all the mistakes I've made in my life. But Clyde, what has the pastor told us recently? It was, you don't have to bring all that happened with you every time. Because that's not who we are anymore. Because who we were when we were not living for him is not who we are once we've met him. And the change that he's made in our life, even in the times that we've made a mistake, we come back to him and he is the God that wipes that clean. And it's with that that I get to the judgment day and I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up here or attempt to. It's with that that I get to judgment day and I don't have to say, but God, I did this and this and this and this. God said, depart from me. But I almost wonder if as he's saying, depart from me, he's not saying, but all you had to do was let me take that and wash you clean. All you had to do, Naaman, Imagine if Naaman had not dipped in the water the seven times. Said, no, I ain't getting in your nasty river. And as Naaman's dying of leprosy, here I'm rewriting the story because we know how it ends, but imagine if he hadn't for a moment and as Naaman dies of leprosy and the defining moment of his life forever becomes, but he was a leper. Imagine if God's saying all you had to do was dip in the water. All you had to do was just accept my mercy and my grace. I was there trying to give it to you. I understand that there's a lot of depth to each of these stories. We packed a whole lot in this evening, and I'm exploring it along with you tonight. But I, I think it's important that we're reminded that we do not have to be defined by our yesterdays. Naaman was defined in the story by his affliction, but Naaman did not leave the story with it. And I can tell you there are groups of people in my hometown that will remember me by my mistakes that I've made probably for all of my life. Now these days they laugh about them. They didn't always. But, but they will probably always remember me as, weren't you that kid that did such and such? But I'm thankful on Judgment Day, I'm not remembered as the mistakes. And it's not going to be, but you were that or that or that. 
but it is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because of who I am or how great I am. Naaman was not healed because of how great Naaman was. Naaman wasn't healed because he was a mighty man of valor or a, because he was an honorable man or because he was the captain of the host. Naaman was healed because God healed him. It was not through his might. In fact, Naaman wanted it to be. Naaman wanted to do it. He said, well, what can I do? Probably looking for some huge task. A little disappointed when I said go jump in the water a couple times. But this evening, as we leave this place, we can be reminded tonight that our God is merciful and our God is graceful. Now, we, we have to balance that with I've got to bring it to him and I've got to let him cleanse me. Because the story could have very easily ended with Naaman saying, I'm not getting any dirty water. And Naaman forever being defined as Naaman the leper. And if we're not careful, we can be in that same place and what we hear be that depart from me. But it doesn't have to be that way. Not because of anything we do, but because this evening of who he is. I wonder if we couldn't just take a moment as we close this evening, stand, lift our hands, our hearts and our voices tonight. And If you've got something you brought with you tonight, you're welcome to come front, you're welcome to bring it where you're at. But if you've got something, you're saying, I've tripped and I've fallen and I've made this mistake, I would be remiss if I did not invite you to bring that to an altar this evening, to take that before an almighty God and let him bring you that mercy and that grace tonight. But if, if you're not in that place this evening and we're looking at that reminder tonight of who he is and what he's done for us, I think that it's probably a good time for us just to give him a little thanks. I don't think I can ever thank him enough for his mercy and I can never praise him enough for his grace. I can never lift him up enough for who he is and what he's done for me because I did not deserve it. So this evening, if we could just take a moment and thank him. Lord God, I praise you tonight. Lord, I thank you that in my darkest hours and in my worst nights, you saw fit to extend to me your mercy, your grace, Lord God, that you took me when I was at my worst. You loved me when I didn't love you. God, and in those times, you reached for me. And in it, because of that, Lord God, and because of your sacrifice on Calvary, I am so thankful tonight that I'm not defined by my mistakes and I'm not defined by who I was without you not defined by the times that I stumbled but I'm so thankful this morning this evening Lord God that I'm defined by who I am with you and that I can forever live my life and I can go be with you in all eternity not because of anything except for who you are and for what you've done in my life. Lord God, I praise you tonight. I exalt you and I lift you up and I magnify your holy name. <coughs> Excuse me. I thank you so much for all you've done, Lord God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And as we go this week, let us remember a little this week of what he's done for us, what he can do for us, and who he is. But mostly go this week knowing that who you are is not and does not have to be who you've been or what you've done. But I can go 
with the name given to me through adoption when I went down and was buried with him in the water. And I am so thankful for that this evening. God bless you. We will see you. I'd love to see all of you Thursday night and Friday and Friday night at camp meeting in Popper Bluff. If I don't see you there, I'd love to see you on Sunday. Looking forward to what God's going to do back here Sunday morning. God bless you. We'll see you all.